How can you tell what someone really cares about? Well, one of the most obvious ways, of course, is what they talk about. Now, I don't know if you know anyone who's really obsessed uh, with one particular hobby or topic or whatever it is, so that they talk about it all the time. I think my favourite in literature is probably Gussie Finknottle in P.G. Woodhouse's Jeeves and Worcester's stories. Uh, I don't know if you know those uh, books. They're kind of quintessentially English. If you want a, a, a view of uh, what Englishness meant about 100 years ago, uh, you could look there. There are other answers as well, but you could look there. Uh, Gussie is one of uh, Bertie Worcester's old school friends, and he is obsessed with newts. Newts. His conversation is littered with references to newts, those little amphibians, a bit like frogs or toads. When attempting to ask uh, the girl that he's fallen in love with to marry him, Gussie falls into a lecture about uh, newts and their mating habits. Predictably, it does not go very well. There is no doubt in anyone's mind that Gussie is obsessed with newts. The Apostle Paul is not obsessed with newts. He is obsessed with the Lord Jesus and his glory. He is constantly speaking about Jesus. We can't escape that impression from his 13 letters that we've got recorded in our Bibles or from his speeches and his actions in the book of Acts. The obsession goes so far, in fact that Paul doesn't just speak to other people about Jesus and his glory, but he speaks to God himself about it too. Have a look at verses 11 and 12 again with me. Page 1189, if you've closed it. Verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prays like this because he is obsessed with Jesus and his glory. It just kind of comes tumbling out of his mouth as he speaks to God. His overarching goal in praying here is that Jesus is glorified. And as that happens, he wants this little group of weak and suffering Christians to whom he's writing in the Macedonian city of Thessalonica in the early 50s AD. He wants them to share in that glory too. Now, as this is our, uh, our first sermon in our new series, as Ellie said, let me explain sort of what we're planning on doing. So over the next uh, five Sunday evenings at the 5.30, we're going to spend our time listening into and learning from some of Paul's recorded prayers. So in this topical series, we're going to ask really big questions, I hope, about prayer. Why, why bother praying? What and who should I pray for? How do I keep going in prayer? In fact, deepening our uh, prayer lives as a church is our focus over this whole year, especially in this summer. We started a series this morning in our morning services 
uh, about um, learning to pray from Jesus in Matthew's gospel. And as Ellie mentioned at our summer gatherings, we're also thinking about prayer in the Old Testament. Starts in here on Tuesday evenings. Do uh, join us. It'd be lovely to see you, especially if you're new. I don't know if you know that we have uh, seven values as a church. Here they are. And as you can see, uh, one of them is that we long to be a people who take up our cross and follow Jesus by seeking to be prayerful in our dependence on God and faithful to Jesus as we are led by his spirit. That is why we have a monthly prayer gathering, which is going to be on the first Tuesday evening of uh, every month from September. That's why we have an 8am prayer gathering every day on Zoom uh, during term time. That's why we have termly days of prayer. The next one is on the 7th of November. Do put it in your diaries. Praying is absolutely vital and central to our lives as Christians and as a church here at All Souls. And so we are going to concentrate on verses 11 and 12 this evening to learn one big thing about prayer. Uh, Here it is. Pray for spiritual growth, not just a change in circumstances, for Jesus's glory. Let me say that again. Pray for spiritual growth, not just a change in circumstances, for Jesus's glory. Now, um, we're going to break that down into three parts. And if the first two uh, bits sound a little bit strange to you, uh, it's maybe a new concept, please do keep listening for the last bit, which gives the reason that the first two make sense. And I hope that will hold it all together. So here's the first part. Pray for spiritual growth. Now, I wonder if this scene is familiar to you uh, at all, if you've been in any sort of life group or Bible study group over the years. You get to the end of a a really challenging and uh, deep study in a passage that says something amazing about God and about uh, the world that he has made, and it comes to prayer time. And one of the leaders says, well, has anyone got any uh, prayer requests to share? And one by one, we, and I deliberately say we to include myself, we share what sort of feels like a shopping list of hard things, hard situations that aren't really related to the passage, but we want God to make better. Or we say things that are good that we want uh, to happen. And basically, we've sort of left behind our principle that God's word shapes every part of our lives, including what we pray for. Does that sound familiar uh, to you? Now, my uh, idea of saying that is not to induce uh, guilt in anyone, because I reckon uh, we've all done that if we've been in uh, small groups. And I'm not saying that we can't share those hard things uh, with each other. Uh, Life groups and prayer trips, that's exactly the sort of place where we should feel comfortable to share what is going on in our lives. That is the setting for that. But just sort of hold on to that scenario again while I read uh, verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Did you notice what Paul's priority was? as he constantly prays for the Thessalonians. 
The headline is there in verse 11. Look at it again, please. He prays that God would make them worthy of his calling. Worthy of his calling. But what does that phrase actually mean? Does the talk of the desire for goodness and deeds prompted by faith in the rest of the verse, does that mean that Paul is praying that God would somehow bring them up to a standard uh, needed to be considered worthy, to be considered good enough for God's calling of them? Well, no, the rest of the Bible makes it really clear, doesn't it, uh, that that just can't be the case. But actually, we don't need to go to some other part of the Bible to see that. Uh, We can see it here. The immediate context tells us that that just can't be so. It's clear from verse 10, if you look at that, that these people that Paul is writing to, they're already Christians. They've believed Paul's testimony to them about Jesus. And they're going to be excited about the day that Jesus returns. Verses 3 and 4, if you cast your eyes back over them, that backs them up. Their faith is growing. Their love is increasing. These Thessalonians are Christians. So what is Paul praying? What's he talking about? Well, look again at verse 5, and you'll see that the same basic phrase uh, comes up. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. There, it is about God declaring on the last day that these people have lived lives which are consistent with their profession of faith by loving one another and enduring those hardships. Here, the image is sort of about testing. It's a bit like a goldsmith testing that the gold is truly pure or the Food Standards Agency checking that the food is actually what it says it is on the packet. In verse 11, I think it's, I think it's slightly different. I think it's rather the image of the gold, goldsmith actually doing the purifying of the gold or the dairy sort of skimming the correct amount of fat off the milk to make sure that it is really semi-skimmed or whatever it says it is. Paul is praying that God brings the Thessalonians sort of up to the standard not to make them Christians, they are already called as Christians, but so that they look more and more and more like the perfect model of the Christian, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's about living more and more as we ought to, like Jesus. Now, the content of the prayer, how Paul sort of sees this is going to happen, the specifics of what Paul prays, is in the second half of verse 11, if you look at that. Paul wants God to bring two things to fruition. That is to make them happen. Now, the language here is about filling up to the brim, completing it, making it happen. In other words, it is about growth. It is about progress. Paul wants God to continue to grow them. He prays that every time that they have a desire to do something good, God would make them carry that through to the end. Similarly, every time that they, uh, their faith in Jesus prompts them to do something for him, he wants God to make them complete it. That is what he's praying for. Putting it all together, it is simply a prayer that God continues to make them more like Jesus, 
by completing in them every step along the way as they kind of put their faith into action. Paul prays for spiritual growth. Now, that might not be a surprise uh, to some of you here who've been Christians a long time, but it may have been a surprise to the Thessalonians. Uh, So here's the second part of the lesson. It is that we pray not just for a change in circumstances. I think Paul's prayer is pretty extraordinary, given the beginning of verse 11. Have a look at it again. It says, with this in mind. Now, that phrase is just kind of a a giant arrow pointing back uh, to the verses uh, before, which inform Paul's prayer, why he's praying it. So let's have a a look at those verses uh, briefly. And let's think about what we might expect Paul to pray in verses 11 and 12. So follow from verse uh, 4 as I read. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. The Thessalonians are clearly suffering. Look at all the words that sort of reinforce that. Verse 4, we have uh, perseverance, persecution, trials, enduring. Verse 5, suffering. Verse 6, trouble, trouble. Verse 7, relief and trouble again. We can read about some of the context of that from Acts chapter 17. Paul's gospel had stirred up division amongst the Jewish community in the city, with some embracing Jesus and some vehemently rejecting him. Paul and Silas had escaped by night whilst their hosts were put in prison and then bailed. In fact, Paul's opponents in Thessalonica They were so angry about what he was preaching that when they heard that he was preaching in a nearby city called Berea, they stirred up trouble for him there too. That doesn't seem to us like the best circumstances to be growing as a Christian. And yet Paul does not pray that their circumstances would change as we might expect. I think that's what I would expect from verses 11 and 12. In verse 3, he gives thanks, doesn't he, that their faith is growing. Their love is growing in those circumstances. And he even uses their example as an encouragement to other churches to stand firm with Jesus. And then what he does next is he turns their eyes to the return of Jesus in verses 7 to 10. Jesus will one day return as judge And he will judge everyone who shows their opposition to him by oppressing his people. Now, these verses have a lot to say about the really important topic of Jesus's return and God's judgment. But that's that's not the focus of our topical uh, uh, sermon on prayer. But it is probably worth saying that these verses, they're not a threat to non-Christians. That's not why Paul is writing it, but they are an encouraging truth to Christians. 
If you wouldn't call yourself a a Christian here tonight and uh, you know that you are not obeying the gospel of our Lord Jesus, as verse 8 puts it, then we're really glad that you have joined us. If what you've uh, just uh, heard uh, from the passage, if what you've heard in all that we've been singing and saying tonight, uh, and you are beginning to feel the horror of what verse 9 calls being shut out of Jesus' presence then please do do something about it. Come and speak to me at the Connect Corner at the end. Come and speak to someone who uh, is sitting around you. Come on a Christianity Explored course in September to think more about it. You really are welcome to think more about what these verses say. But returning to prayer and the context of verses 11 and 12, I find it surprising that um, Paul doesn't even pray for Jesus to return to end their sufferings. Now, that is a really good thing to pray for, isn't it? We have examples of uh, people praying for that elsewhere in the Bible, in the Psalms and in uh, Revelation particularly. But Paul doesn't decide to do that here. He really clearly has an expectation that Jesus will return uh, to judge. But that isn't the focus of his prayer. Instead, he prays for spiritual growth, as we've seen, whilst we wait for Jesus' return. Now, we cannot control when Jesus comes back, though, as I've said, we should be praying for that um, often. What we can control under God's power, verse 11, and in his grace, verse 12, we can control to a certain extent how we react in those trials. It's for that reason that Paul prays for spiritual growth, not just a change in circumstances. Let me try and apply uh, those things that I've been saying to our times of prayer, corporately and on our own, before we think briefly about verse 12. So here are some areas uh, to think about. When I pray for my loved ones, what do I pray? Do my prayers look like verse 11? Do I pray for what they're doing uh, that day as they go to work or to school or to the shops or whatever it is? That is, of course, a good thing uh, to pray for, the the tasks of the day. But verse 11, it just encourages much bigger prayers than that. We can pray for so much more. I can pray for how my loved ones do the things that they're doing each day, that they would be godly in the day's tasks ahead of them. Paul here is modelling that we can pray for so much more, that God would bring to fruition every desire for goodness, every deed prompted by faith, that the people that we are praying for would act out their belief in the Lord Jesus in their everyday lives. Why not pray verse 11 for people this week? Here's just an example of uh, how I might do that for my friend John, who's cooking on a youth camp uh, this coming week. I'm planning to pray. Dear Father, thank you for John and his service of you. Please make him worthy of your calling and bring to fruition every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith as he serves you cooking this week. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what I'm planning to pray. Why don't you pray like that this week? 
Next, let's think about the area of praying for people in trouble, like the Thessalonians were. What are those prayers going to look like? Is it that God would deliver them from that trouble or suffering? Again, I say that is a fine and good thing uh, to pray for. But make sure you also pray for their godliness in times of trial. When my son was in hospital last year, I really did want people to pray that he would be healed. But I really wanted and needed people to pray verse 11 for me and my family. Because I know that that is what will last on the day that Jesus comes back to judge. Or think about the next time that you open your uh, prayer diary or the Prayer May app, and it's a day to pray for the persecuted church or one of our mission partners who works with persecuted people. What are we going to pray for them? There's a page, uh, I think it's uh, the 23rd of each month, where we pray specifically uh, for the persecuted church. Will we pray that the Lord stops that persecution? Or will we pray verse 11 for them. That's what they really need. That's what we all really need. If we ever think that God has not answered our prayers because our circumstances just haven't changed, well, try and think about verse 11 again and what the Thessalonians were going through. So there are just a few practical things uh, for our prayers this week. But I guess the question is, will we actually pray? Will we make the time? I hope that knowing the real reason why we're praying will help us to do that. So that's the third part of our big idea, the last part of our first lesson in Paul's uh, school of prayer. It's that we pray for Jesus's glory. Now, it's always easier to do something that is hard when we know why uh, we're doing it. Uh, In the summer between uh, school and university, I spent a few weeks volunteering with a charity out in Hong Kong. One of the things I did was collect uh, thousands of tiles from a warehouse deep in the New Territories near the border. The warehouse was uh, closing down, but the tiles were still uh, good and usable, uh, so uh, we went to pick them up. It was really hot and sweaty and tiring work. But knowing why I was doing it really did help. The charity sort of received uh, donated goods and uh, Uh, send them round the world to other charities so that they didn't need to spend their money on uh, importing really expensive goods. I was told that the uh, tiles might be used uh, in a cafe where former drug addicts worked. It really did help those long, hot, sweaty days uh, to know why I was doing it. We do the hard work of praying... And it is often hard work because, verse 12, we want Jesus to have the glory. That is the motivation. Of course, we only uh, pray because it's his power, verse 11, and it's his grace, verse 12, that bring about anything that ever happens. And uh, I'm not going to say anything more about that tonight because we will explore uh, that idea in the weeks uh, to come. But it is a very important idea. But I am going to talk a little bit more about God's glory. His glory is sort of his greatness revealed to the world. It's what makes us go, wow, when we turn to him. Or verse 10, when we marvel at him. 
as it says. We pray all those things in verse 11, not so that people go wow at us or about the people we're praying about, but so people go wow about the Lord Jesus. They will say, wow, Jesus really must be Lord if those people can endure such suffering, if those people are growing in godliness. He is amazing if he can bring to fruition every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith. Think of the adverts for uh, washing powder, uh, where everyone is amazed at how bright the colours are or the fact that the stains have uh, disappeared and they go, wow, that stuff really works. That, verse 10, is what will happen on the final day when Jesus returns. Everyone will say, wow, Jesus is Lord. The little phrase in the middle of verse 12 kind of confirms that. It says, and you in him, kind of confirms the mind-bending nature of that prayer. Paul dares to pray that our glorification in Jesus, our becoming sort of more and more like him, so that in some weak sense we may share in his glory, that that brings Jesus more glory still. That is an incredible thing uh, to pray, isn't it? It is all for his glory, even as we pray for spiritual growth to be more like Jesus. Don Carson, in his uh, book about Paul's prayers, um, says this, at the heart of all our praying must be biblical vision. Let Jesus's glory be at the heart of your praying this week. Sometimes that can feel like it's a long way off in my prayer life. But God is storing up glory for Jesus when he's revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels as we pray. I had the promise that those tiles uh, might be used. But then I got to see them uh, about a year later in Kazakhstan. And then a few years later, still, I was told that they were no longer in piles, uh, but they were laid and being used. One day, on the last day, Jesus' glory will be revealed to all. And that is why we pray now. So, what are your prayers going to look like this week? Are they going to be big, like Paul's prayers were? Praying that people that we pray for would be part of everyone coming to say, wow, Jesus really is the Lord, as they see the difference that he makes in the lives in whom he's working. This week, let's pray for spiritual growth, not just a change in circumstances, for Jesus' glory.